1: Let's do this. Thank you very much for spending some of your evening and wrapping up your weekend with me. My name is Danny Parkins. It is the Danny Parkins Show, CBS Sports Radio, radio radio.com, Sirius 206. Coming to you live from the Rockin' Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Millions of Americans finance the home of their dreams with their help. They can help you, too. Rockin' Mortgage, push button, get mortgage. You can follow me on Twitter at Danny Parkins. The Rams are... Third and goal, down 6-3 to three against the Browns. We will keep you updated as we go. Fantastic day in the NFL. We've got Bob Stoops in 35 minutes. We've got Joe Theismann in an hour and 35 minutes. But for now, given that it is just after 10 o'clock Eastern, and this is week four of the NFL, I thought we'd get 10 football thoughts at 10, Danny Parkins show style. So, guys, hit it. You know that line in Remember the Titans when Petey gets hurt and they put in sunshine and he finally makes, and he not only does he make the pitch, but he upends the guy who came in and hurt Petey, stares him down, and Coach Yost goes, We got, or no, it's not Coach Yost. It's uh, Coach Tyrell. Goes, we got ourselves a quarterback. That's what Giants fans everywhere are saying about Daniel Jones. Story of the day in the NFL. Daniel Jones replaces Eli Manning and does something that Eli Manning never did when he had 44 opportunities to do it, and that is overcome an 18 point deficit and win. Now, Daniel Jones. Should have lost because Tampa should have made the kick at the end, but he had nothing to do with that. Judging quarterbacks by wins and losses is silly when it's a team game, but he injected life, energy, enthusiasm, athleticism, mobility, and straight up hope into the New York football giants. And he did something in that game that he never himself did in college. He had 336 passing yards, two touchdowns throwing, two touchdowns rushing. He didn't have a single game at Duke where he threw for over 300 yards, didn't have a pick, and had at least one rushing touchdown. He had two rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns, over 300 yards, and no picks. And it's funny because he looks like Eli Manning, and then he throws the football, and then he runs. I have no idea if he's going to be great. Obviously, it's just one game. Anyone who called him a bust after the draft was foolish. Anyone calling him a Hall of Famer after one game, foolish. But he is exciting. Number two, 10 thoughts at 10, week four of the NFL. We got ourselves a quarterback controversy in Carolina. That's what Panthers fans, I'd imagine, are talking about. Kyle Allen, one start last year in week 17, one start this year. 2-0, six touchdowns, no picks, and, you know... Panthers wide receivers look good when Kyle Allen's throwing him the football. He probably needs to do it another week or two for it to be a legitimate point of contention. But if Carolina's offense actually can pass the ball down the field with a consistent rate, Kyle Allen's always had a tremendous amount of skill. They've got a real situation on their hands in Carolina. Cam Newton, wildly talented, but wildly injured and he hasn't really gotten better at taking the easy throw. Kyle Allen did that today. That was something to watch, and that story, the longer Cam is out, is only going to get bigger and bigger if Kyle Allen continues to play well. I was watching a lot of Buffalo Cincy today, which, you know, maybe your day was better than mine. But it's amazing that Frank Gore is still a thing in the NFL. He gets the touchdown at the end after Josh Allen drives him down the field. Nothing impressive, nothing dominant, but still going after all these years. You know, Frank Gore is fourth all-time in the NFL in rushing. This is an opinion that I have that's not very popular. Like I respect the hell out of Frank Gore. I think it's amazing his durability, but I think you've got to have more than durability and longevity in order to be a Pro Football Hall of Famer. He was never first-team All-Pro. He had one second-team All-Pro. He was never the best running back in the NFL. He's never a Super Bowl champion. To me, he's the Hall of Very Good, and he's the Hall of Longevity. It's really tough to make it into Canton. I don't think that longevity should be the top requirement on your stat line, on your resume, to get into the Hall of Fame. The counting stats are amazing. Fourth all-time in rushing. Most people seem to think he's a Hall of Famer. I just marvel at the fact that he still is productive after all of these years but he's never been dominant, so he wouldn't make my Hall of Fame. But in terms of guys you respect, there aren't many more than Frank Gore. Number four, 10 football thoughts at 10. We marvel at the Patriots' dominance over the rest of the league, understandably so, because it's the greatest dynasty in pro football. But because they are so dominant over the league... It's like, oh, well, obviously then they're dominant over their division. It kind of gets overlooked. Did you see today that when the Jets scored their touchdown, it was the first touchdown that the Jets scored at Gillette Stadium in 15 quarters. 15 quarters since the Jets last scored a touchdown. By the way, that was also the first touchdown the Patriots had allowed in any game since the AFC Championship game. So the Super Bowl, week one, third quarter of week three. Or excuse me, week two, then the third quarter of week three. That's how long it's been since the Patriots defense gave up a touchdown. Patriots offense gets all the love because of Brady, understandably. Their defense is humming right now. Not that it's incredible to do that to the Jets, but still. Super Bowl week, week one, week two, first half of week three. Patriots are rolling. You know who isn't? The Pittsburgh Steelers, which brings me to my fifth thought of week four of the football season. They got five turnovers. They had two broken play touchdowns, and they still lost to San Francisco. Outside of those two long broken play touchdowns, the Steelers averaged 2.6 yards per play the Steelers might be awful Minka Fitzpatrick forced a fumble recovered a fumble and had an interception in his first half as a Steeler so he ain't the problem but wow that was that was an uncomfortable loss if you're a Steeler fan that was legitimately terrible That's the type of loss that can spiral on you because I think they're better than San Francisco. I think they're better than how they've played, but you just gave up a first round pick and your Hall of Fame quarterback got hurt. And if this thing unravels all around you and you gave up a top 10 pick, it's going to get mighty uncomfortable for Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. Speaking of the AFC, as we move through our 10 football thoughts at 10 o'clock, I am uh, on board, shall we say, and that is a drastic understatement. If if, uh, Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes are going to tee off with each other for the next, oh, I don't know, 12 years. That game was awesome. Now, Lamar should have had a couple of picks. Mahomes probably should have had a pick. It wasn't necessarily... A games from either side, but it felt like we were watching the future. We were watching third year pro, second year starter Pat Mahomes, and second year pro, second year starter Lamar, or excuse me, third year pro, second year starter Lamar Jackson say, All right, we are going to be battling it out for AFC supremacy, MVPs. AFC title games like, like that felt like we'll see each other again, right? This past era of football had Peyton and Brady and Rogers and Rivers and Breeze and Roethlisberger. And it had the same names battling it out year after year after year for like 15 years. We're going to see Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes play in some massive, massive games. And I know the Chiefs' defense isn't very good, even though they played pretty well overall, I thought, today. But, and I know Baltimore covered. I don't know how we could be laying less than a touchdown with the Chiefs. I know it lost today, right? Backdoor to cover for the Ravens. Good job if you bet Baltimore. But the Chiefs' offense is Unbelievable. Without Tyree Kill, without Eric Fisher, their, their left tackle, center got hurt today. They got Nicole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, third and fourth string running backs. Chiefs offense is patently absurd. Lamar Jackson hung with them, was breaking ankles out there like he was Allen Iverson. That was a that was a fun football game. Some of Lamar Jackson's moves straight up disrespectful. Speaking of disrespect, item number seven, 10 thoughts at 10 to start off the Danny Parkin show here, CBS Sports Radio. Bill Belichick, man, I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's so obvious, but how he handled Dana Jacobson's pregame interview, it's not the end of the world. Some people with microphones are going to grandstand on it tomorrow, but the audacity to respond... If you don't want to answer the question... What was the final straw with Antonio Brown and your team when you're getting ready? And you want to say, we're getting ready for the Jets. Fine. You don't have to answer it. But to stare her down, to try to intimidate her, to try to bully her when she says thank you, you not to say thank you back, man, she's just doing her job. She's not the one who signs the player who was accused of rape and then you let him go after they, the text uh, threatening the alleged victim surfaced you were the one who did that you're the highest paid coach in american sports have just a shred of decency and accountability it's not too much to ask what is apparently too much to ask is number eight on my list and that is me still betting the damn atlanta falcons yo can you figure out this team can anybody figure out this team why are they not good Why are the Falcons not a 30-point-per-game offense? Can someone explain this to me? They have arguably the best wide receiver duo in the NFL. They have a former MVP as quarterback who last year had a monster season. They have continuity on the coaching staff. They're healthy. Their first 11 games this year are all in a dome. They don't have to go into the cold. They don't have to go into a slow track. They should be dominating people, and if it wasn't for a nice second half on Sunday Night Football last week, they'd be 0-3. So, I just want to, like, raise my right hand, like, admit admitting you have a problem is the first step to, step to solving a problem. Hello, my name is Danny Parkins, and I have a problem with the Atlanta Falcons. I don't get them. When I bet against them, they win. When I bet on them, they lose. I, I can't figure them out. Why is that team not much better than they are? I have no idea. Number nine, 10 football thoughts from week four at 10 o'clock Eastern. Speaking of that Falcons game, we have a uh, refereeing crisis on our hands. It's getting tougher and tougher to officiate this game. But what happened to Keanu Neal is totally unacceptable. I don't really call for people to be fired because I believe you should be able to make a mistake and come back from it. But... If you told me tomorrow that the ref who allowed for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty to be called on Keanu Neal when he ruptured his Achilles tendon and took off his helmet as he was screaming and writhing in agony on the field, if you told me that ref was suspended for a week, I'd have no problem with it. You've got to have common sense. Common sense, logic, deductive reasoning. Problem-solving skills like, oh, we messed up. Let's pick up that flag. You know why? His season's over. He took off his helmet in pain. That's not unsportsmanlike conduct. No one in the Colts was like, oh, my God. what are the humanity? Think of the children. The guy who ruptured his Achilles took off his hat. Like, it's so stupid. And this happens not in that exact situation, but it reeks of flagging celebrations. It, these these reviews, it's just, it's counterintuitive to making the game the most enjoyable viewing product possible. And there's too many instances of it, whether it's roughing the passer, whether it's pass interference, whether it was what is and is not a catch, whether it was celebration, whether today it is unsportsmanlike conduct. Like you've got you got to stop. You just have to stop. Speaking of the rest, this will be number 10. I love Tyler Lockett. Huge fan of his when he was at K-State. Seattle, world-class organization. But I called it on this show, and I get so much wrong. I'm going to point out when I'm right. There were so many obvious unintended consequences of allowing for pass interference to be reviewable. Namely, more than just pass interference can be the thing that costs you a game. So only allowing one penalty to be reviewable is just silly. But beyond that, you are going to have people trying to game the system. They've actually made it really tough to overturn calls for pass interference. But if you guys seen Tyler Lockett the last couple of weeks, what has he been doing? Straight up flopping. Flailing around. Not playing football. And he's drawing flags. And he's not going for the ball. I know that soccer fans in Europe call soccer football. And I like European soccer. But one thing I don't like about soccer is flopping. So one thing I don't want in the NFL is flopping. It's ridiculous. It's totally unnecessary. And of course it was going to happen if you allow for pass interference to be as strict of a penalty as it was. And you can game the system like this. So Tyler Lockett, stop flopping for flags. It's just a bad look. It's beneath you. It's beneath this unbelievable game. 855-212-4227 is the number you want to react to any of my 10. You've got your big thought from week four of the NFL season. I want to hear from you. Plus, The craziest thing I actually read about today in football. That's coming up before Bob Stoops in 20 minutes. It's the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Bob Stoops coming up in 15 minutes. CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line is 855-212-4227. It's brought to you by GEICO. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. We'll get to your calls in just a minute on uh, top takeaways from week four of the NFL. You got Sunday night football right now. Browns 13 and the Rams 10. But uh, it was a weird game with Tampa and the Giants. Jameis came out on fire. Mike Evans with three touchdowns, carving up the Giants secondary. Daniel Jones looked fine, but a little... A little overwhelmed by the quick blitz of offense by Tampa, needing to win in a shootout, and then just settles in. Four touchdowns, comes back, overcomes an 18 point deficit, and they win the game because Tampa misses a kick. Well, Tampa missed a kick because Jameis Winston hit Mike Evans for a forty yard, forty four yard pass that got him down to the nine yard line with 30 seconds left. Tampa spiked the ball. Then took a delay a game penalty. Backed up and then centered the ball with a two-yard loss. And then the dude missed the kick. Bruce Arians' explanation for the end-of-game sequence that included a penalty was, uh, I'll say, curious to say the least. I just took it on purpose. He did it on purpose?
0: Yeah, I want to field. He's better back. That field was easier back five yards. No, no sense hurrying We want to move the ball over, put it in the middle, and make it
1: easy. Wanted to move it back. Now, listen. They were at the nine-yard line when he caught it. So, five-yard delay game penalty, 14-yard line, two yards back to center at 16-yard line, and then add 17-yard, 33-yard extra point distance. Got to make the kick. Distance should not be a factor there, but voluntarily moving the ball back because he's better at a longer distance is an odd thing that you probably want to explain a little bit more thoroughly because distance shouldn't be the issue. If you want to say you don't want to kick it from the angle, I get it. Center the ball. But the further back you go, the easier it is to kick it offline, which is obviously... Exactly what happened. So odd day for Bruce Arians. Interesting day for coaching. Uh, John Harbaugh loses in Kansas City and will be second guessed repeatedly, but said he made prediction or made play calls off of analytics. They didn't go for two three times. They, or excuse me, they went for two three times and didn't get it three times. And went for fourth and two from their own side of the field and didn't get it. Now, I'll be honest with you, I loved it. You're a six point underdog in Arrowhead going up against Pat Mahomes, playing for extra ball possession, extra points. If you believe in your quarterback and your play calls against a bad defense, I think in the long run, that's a winning play today. It didn't work out for him, but I like to be process oriented as opposed to results oriented and John Harbaugh finally we're seeing a coach air on the side of aggression Air on going for it on fourth, Aaron going for it for two. I think in the long run, when you've got a quarterback that you like playing against a bad defense, especially, and you got the run pass option with Lamar Jackson, who was just devastating out there when he got on the edge and on the move, I think in the long run, that type of approach is going to be a winning strategy for the Baltimore Ravens. It did not single-handedly lose them the game today, but it certainly contributed to it because some of those calls didn't work. So he's going to get second-guessed, but as long as he can explain it and back it up with the analytics, he'll be proven right that the math says that you have a higher expected value of total points scored if you make those type of play calls. So as long as John Harbaugh can explain it, I think Ravens fans should support it, even though I'm sure many, many people will be criticizing John Harbaugh tomorrow. Bob Stoops, hell of a career, a national champion, but he, when he left, Baker Mayfield won the Heisman and then Kyler Murray won the Heisman the year after that. I wonder if he has any regrets based on how it went in Oklahoma right after he left. We'll ask Bob Stoops coming up. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Thrilled to be joined now on the Danny Parkin show on CBS sports radio by a coaching legend, 18 seasons at Oklahoma, a national champion and the current head coach of the Dallas renegades in the XFL. His book, no excuses. The making of a head coach is available now. Bob stoops with us on CBS sports radio coach. Thank you so much for the time this evening. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, man. Great to be with you. Thank you.
1: I really appreciate it. So, this book spans quite a journey for you. What were the motivations in wanting to share your story at this time?
0: Uh, well, a few things. Um, for so many years, I've been asked from coaches from every level and some from all different sports as well as other people, uh, business people, how did this happen for you? How did you become a head coach? How do I become a head coach or this leader in you know, you can't, you can't say, you can't answer that in five minutes in a five minute conversation as well as how did you turn Oklahoma around from so many years without a conference championship, national championship? How did you in two years go undefeated, win a national championship? And then how did you remain so consistent for the next 18 years, which, you know, from 2000 to now, nobody's won more games than we have. So and and again, it's it just hard to explain in a five or ten minute conversation what your philosophies were, and you know. So I I thought, why not lay it all out? This is this is what we did. This is how we did it. This was our thinking, and this is this is how we went about it. So, anyhow, it was just uh, the right time to do it, and I had the time to do it.
1: Was any part of the process painful going over all that history?
0: Only, uh, the personal parts, uh, losing my father at a young age at 54, going through the health scare my daughter went through, uh, if she was five, you know, those two things reliving them, you know, uh, and I did, I narrated the audio version of the book and I was surprised because those are, those, those events happened a long time ago and it was, uh. Thought I was over him, and then you bring up the emotion, and it's like, wow! I I, uh, I had to stop several times reading it, and you know, because all the emotion and and the events come flooding back. So Do
1: you feel, yeah,
0: so it was. It you know, some parts were painful. The personal parts were.
1: Yeah, it's. I always find that interesting when I talk to people who kind of put their life down on paper. Were was it at all therapeutic? to relive those tough times?
0: Well, I don't, I don't feel that I, I needed any therapy on it. I've, you know, I've had a long time with both of them to come to the realization of them both. And what's what I, uh, you know, I didn't need any therapy, so I I wouldn't say that. Uh, But, um, but it was hard, you know, but as you said, to, to relive some of those moments, they're not easy when they're that, you know, when they're that personal and that challenging.
1: Bob Stoops is our guest, his book available now, No Excuses, The Making of a Head Coach. You said, and you had the time to do it. My guess is when you were coaching, you didn't really find the time. Was it? I think when you stepped down, it surprised a lot of people. Did you ever have regrets about your decision to leave Oklahoma?
0: I didn't. Uh, uh, no, I. I uh, it was well thought out. Um, I, I was at a point, I had been 18 years Nothing was negative whatsoever. We'd just been back from back to back to back, uh, Big 12 championships and winning and just won the Sugar Bowl. There was nothing negative whatsoever. I just felt that I had run my race. I had done what I could at Oklahoma. I knew I had the right guy there that could continue to push the program forward. I knew I had a very mature, experienced team that would be able to handle it. So it all fit together for me, and I thought, you know, I don't want to miss the right time for me just to step aside. I wanted a little more time and space to myself. And uh, I I felt I was complete at Oklahoma. And that was just my my feeling, no one else's. And, uh, you know, once I explained it to the team, initially they're like all concerned, something's wrong. And I, I said, guys, I laughed, I smiled. I'm like, this is all good. This is me, this is my, what I want to do. And I explained how you guys are the ones that win, not me. You, you go out and play. You're an experienced team. Baker's back. All these guys are with you. Coaches are all going to be here. I go, this is all good. And then once they realized it, they stood up, gave me a standing ovation, came up and hugged me. And I explained that all in the book. And it was all great. It, it's just because it's odd. Everybody has a hard time with it. And, and too many times people think there's something wrong when there was nothing wrong. It was just what I wanted to do.
1: Did you hear from any of your coaching brethren within the fraternity? Like, hey, Bob, what the hell are you doing? You got Baker Mayfield. He's going to win a Heisman. And then you have Kyler Murray, and he wins a Heisman. Like, it seemed like a pretty good time to be the head coach at Oklahoma.
0: It was, and, but that's part of the reason why I wanted to step away because um, I knew it would continue on in a great way I knew Lincoln Riley was the right guy. I totally knew he's going to continue to push the program forward. I didn't need it. Um, I don't need all that. Uh, At the end of the day, I was satisfied. I loved the fact that I could step away and the the program would continue to go forward. And did I hear from all my buddies? Of course I did. But, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't come by the the decision lightly. I, I had thought about it. So in the end, it was just right for me.
1: I'm curious, you know, as you're dominating the Big 12 for the better part of two decades, something was happening in the NFL, which was any Big 12 quarterback that would go pro really wasn't having success. It didn't seem like a league that was preparing you for the next level at that position. And then it changed, and Big 12 quarterbacks started dominating. Obviously, Pat Mahomes, but... Beyond that, I mean, obviously your guy Baker and now Kyler Murray's having success early. What do you think changed within either the Big 12 or the pro game that allowed for quarterbacks from that conference to have success at the next level?
0: Well, I don't think any one conference dominates who goes to the NFL and does well. It's who's the uh, you know, who's the coordinators in the NFL and the head coaches that are working with these guys and getting them to play the way they need to play. I don't I don't think any one conference has a has a uh patent on that. At the end of the day, these guys are talented. They're uh there's more and more offenses in the NFL that are open to what, you know, the spread offenses are doing and the uh you know, the offenses we've run uh are doing and and they're emulating a lot of it. So you see more and more of, you know, these college offenses, the principles of it and Uh, you know, that are in the NFL's offenses now. So um, so anyhow, uh, you see more and more of people doing it in the NFL, what these guys have been used to doing.
1: Yeah, I always wondered how that worked. So does an NFL coach just study your, like, Lincoln Riley's film, or is he coming to practice and calling you up and saying, you know, how would you bring the RPO or the spread to the next level? Because when I'm watching it, it feels to me like I'm watching – those college big 12 offenses just being played with professional players
0: no they' they're, they're emulating what, what we've been doing there, there's no question about it whether they're studying it just on film or tape which you can uh, you don't need to be in a, a personal meeting to figure out what they're doing or or there's some conversations going on but there's there's some of that no there's no question about it.
1: We're talking to Bob Stoops whose book's available now, no excuses, The Making of a Head Coach, former national champion head coach at Oklahoma. You think the NFL is going to come calling for Lincoln Riley?
0: Oh, they already have. I'm sure they will, but that that doesn't mean he will go. You know, I'm not speaking for Lincoln at all, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure they have and will, but he'll he'll do what's right for he and his family and and his uh his path in the University of Oklahoma.
1: You mentioned building a program. Right now college football seems to be lacking parity. Um, you know, Clemson and Bama are kind of lapping the field and you know Clemson's recruiting kids all the way from California now and even if Georgia can step up and have a big recruiting class like at least I, that I would
0: disagree with that because uh Alabama and Georgia went to overtime last year, right? Yes. Oklahoma went to overtime with Georgia
1: yeah. right in the Rose Bowl.
0: So, I mean, it, they're not that far off. And
1: so, How many teams do you I, think I are playing on that level? Like, How many teams do you think legitimately can win a, co- a national championship well, in college football? The,
0: the, the obvious ones right now are, you know, just like you said, Clemson and Alabama. And then I think there's Georgia, Oklahoma are right there. So is Ohio State. They've won one not too far off. And then I think uh, other teams, Notre Dame just played the heck out of Georgia. Uh, LSU, uh, which I think now, which I got to give them big kudos now throwing the football like they are, which we've been doing for a long time. Look out because they've always had great athletes, but now if they can be explosive and throw the ball and put up big numbers, which they're doing, look out. So I don't, I don't know that it's that far off. You know, there's, there's, Seven, eight teams that are, you know, tight.
1: That's it. That's it. And it's interesting because of the last few years. So you think, like, geographically, um, I, I always th- find it interesting. You know, so you mentioned Ohio State. That would, I guess, be the exception. But it seems like such a geographic disadvantage to not be in a warm weather place and maybe even more specifically in the southeast where, you know, Clemson can go through the ACC, that's easier. But geographically, they're still in that hotbed. And so I just wonder, like a program like Michigan or Penn State or Notre Dame or USC, it feels like they're operating behind the eight ball to me from afar.
0: Well, USC is not in a cold weather place.
1: That is true. And, and, and
0: they've got a better advantage than maybe the others. So, but I, I, don't, I don't totally argue with you because you have a good point or a fair point that it's harder for whatever reason. Uh, the more you get, you know, the more north you are, it, it, I think it does become more difficult.
1: So if you were coach, I know you're not, but how, how would you try to overcome that geographic disadvantage?
0: I don't know that you can
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah, that, that that's that's how I see it too, and it's just I I just don't know if that's good. Like last, last well, year for you know
0: I I would I would just jump to Ohio State. They have you know they're they're right there with everybody. Ohio State's is talented and it has as good of players as anyone does. I believe.
1: We're talking to Bob Stoops. His book, No Excuses: The Making of a Head Coach, available now wherever books are sold. How would you describe your? Uh, is it excitement? Is it nerves? Like, how would you describe your mindset to get back on a sideline coaching in the XFL?
0: Oh, it's more excitement than anything. I, you know, I, I'm excited about it. I think we're going to play exciting, fun football to watch and, and the coach. And, uh, you know, you think about it. There's, you know, the last five, ten guys cut from every NFL team, those, those are really good football players. So we, we've got a chance to work with those guys that have played a lot of football I think it's going to be fun, exciting, and uh, I can't wait for it. So it's got great leadership and Oliver Lockhart, our uh, commissioner, and uh, owner Vince McMahon. So I think all in all, it's going to be awesome.
1: Do you think there is a, a scenario, you know, a Trevor Lawrence type, where a top-flight college player might say, I want to get paid in the XFL before I go to the NFL?
0: Oh, maybe, but I think those will be outliers. And I don't think we're looking to make our name on those guys at all. So, uh, so who knows? We'll see where that goes.
1: In terms of style of play, what do you think the XFL is going to be like? Oh,
0: I think it's going to be fun. We got a little bit of a quicker clock. There's going to be less dead time, which everybody wants. So I I think it's going to be really fun and exciting, um, You know, we got a lot of good football players on everybody's team. Uh, We will. Our uh, our draft will be in mid-October. But uh, so anyway, um, like I said, with a little quicker clock and all, it's going to be exciting.
1: Well, Bob, thank you very much for the time. I hope everyone goes out and gets the book, No Excuses, The Making of a Head Coach. We appreciate your time.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: No, thank you. That is Bob Stoops, former national champion, current coach in the XFL. Odd spot, you retire, and then it's Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray win the Heisman. Those guys are NFL quarterbacks now. We keep getting lessons about how tough it is to evaluate quarterback play, yet younger and younger quarterbacks are having great success. I want to get into why that is coming up. To the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio.